Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Seems Like Diet Culture podcast, or welcome if you are new here. My name is Mallory Page. I'm your host, and I am also a registered dietitian. And this podcast is the place where we talk about all things wellness, nutrition, exercise, and I answer the questions or the misconceptions or the confusion points that you may have around these topics because there's so much noise out there nowadays that it's really freaking hard to know what's true and what's not and how the heck you want to implement something or not implement something into your life. So I will share my educated opinion as a professional. I will share research, the opinion of other professionals, and also your guys' experiences because it's always helpful to have an idea of where the other people, the peers that you interact with, are coming from and what they have seen with this. So if you ever want to be a part of those peer discussions, I typically put a question box up on my Instagram story and my Instagram account at Mallory J Page is always linked in the show notes as well as my group coaching program, Live Unrestricted. And then I'll typically link other things in the show notes as well for you guys if I ever use articles or something like that. So always make sure to just check those out if you're wondering where something could be coming from. Now, today's topic is actually one that I have had a lot of suggestions around. And what's interesting is that the first time that I saw this start to come up more was in Live Unrestricted. And it wasn't even my current group. It was my group that started in May, I believe. And they started asking me all about blood sugar. And at the time, I was kind of like, this is so strange. Like, this doesn't necessarily really come up that much as a question. Of course, we know that blood sugar is something that people have a general idea about, or at least many people do, but that doesn't mean it was something that often got asked within diet culture conversations or even just as we went through the program. But what I came to discover, especially going into my recent group, the August group, was that it was coming about from how much discussion there was in the wellness world and how it had somewhat become this new obsession. We'll talk about what this was due to or my theories on what this was due to throughout this entire podcast, but I just think it's so fascinating how no matter what, the wellness world will always find something new for us to fixate on, and it just never ends. I'm always shocked by it. Even though I am up to date, I feel like, on the Instagram stuff and I get disordered eating things and wellness things and dietitian things because I'll seek them out, I still sometimes find out things that I was not expecting to see. So with this podcast, we're going to jump right into it and I'm really going to get into the details here. We're going to talk about what blood sugar is and what insulin is and what blood sugar balance looks like and what that looks like within diabetes and the process of which this happens and then the pros, the cons, as well as some just overall takeaways of the whole idea of blood sugar balancing. I actually wanted to get into the glucose goddess too, if you guys are familiar with her. She's a creator on Instagram that talks about this stuff, but as I was writing out the podcast information. There was just so much that we will quickly touch on her, but I'm thinking we need to do a whole separate podcast just on her because there's so much to dive into. So as always, please let me know if that would be something that you would be interested in. How we're going to start off though is how we almost always start, which is what is this? 
So let's talk first about what is blood sugar. So blood sugar is the amount of blood glu glucose found in your bloodstream. And we actually know this as a number, or that's how you would typically see a blood sugar level. Now, many foods break down into blood glucose, which is then used for energy to fuel our brain, heart, muscles, everything. And blood glucose either comes from the food we eat or it is made by the liver and it is found in the bloodstream as it is carried to all of our organs and cells and inside the cells where it is changed into energy. We are not going to get into the specifics of when your liver releases glucose and how it's released as well as what that exchange or breakdown of food into blood glucose looks like because it's just too complicated for this podcast and it's not really that pertinent to our conversation today. So I just wanted to call out that I'm not trying to ignore that. It's just not that important to talk about. But even the way that you would think about this happening, right? You eat the food, it breaks down all that stuff. You're on the right track. And I'll explain a little bit more about what that looks like in a second. So the other thing is insulin is a key player in this conversation. It's a vital hormone and you can't survive without it. And it regulates blood sugar, so glucose, in the body in a very complicated way. So here is the kind of high points to what this would look like. All right, so you eat food and make note of the fact that this is any food, not just carbohydrates, so protein, fat, carbs, all of those things. And this is broken down into glucose, which could also be called blood sugar. This glucose and or blood sugar then enters into your bloodstream and this signals the pancreas to release insulin. Now the insulin is what helps blood sugar and or glucose enter into the body's cells so it can be used for energy. Because when glucose is just going around in the blood, it's not helping us in the same way as it is when it is in the cell where we actually need it to complete processes that keep our body going. So then blood sugar enters into the cells and levels in the bloodstream decrease. And this also signals insulin to decrease because it's not needed like it was when there was high blood sugar and you needed to get that into the cells. Now, if you haven't eaten in a while and you're actually too low in energy, you need more energy for your cells, your liver can actually release stored blood sugar and it will sense this by noting that there are lower insulin levels. So this is a protective mechanism for when you need energy and you haven't eaten. So that's a little bit of what it looks like when you're taking food in to how it's used in the cell and all of this process, every single step of this process would be affecting your blood sugar level. As you can imagine, when you're first eating and you're starting to release that glucose, your blood sugar goes up. 
when your insulin starts to be released and it starts to go into the cells and it is utilized, your blood sugar will start to go down. If you were to have low insulin levels and your body decides, oh, shoot, I need some energy, you would have low blood sugar levels before that. And then once the liver releases that stored blood sugar, your blood sugar levels would go up. So you can see how it will ebb and flow. So this may have you wondering, well, what's a normal blood sugar level? Which is a great question, but believe it or not, the answer is way more complicated than you would imagine because it depends on a ton of things, including but not limited to your age, your sex, whether you're pregnant or not, if you have diabetes, so on and so forth. But a general rule of thumb that they use as a level would be as a fasting blood sugar before eating anything, 99 milligrams per deciliter or below. And then after eating a meal, 140 milligrams per deciliter or below. That being said, achieving a quote-unquote normal blood sugar or glucose level is a bit of a misnomer. The word normal is used in reference for what someone's blood sugars may look like if they didn't have diabetes. And this terminology is kind of flawed because even people without diabetes are going to see blood sugar spikes, especially after eating and especially depending on what it is they eat. Once you eat anything, your body is immediately going to start working to counterbalance or to fight against that rising glucose level by producing more insulin. And there may be times where your blood sugar may spike beyond the normal range for a small amount of time. And this doesn't just happen with food. It also can happen with intense exercise or in high stress situations if your natural glucose metabolizing cannot quickly balance everything out. So when someone has diabetes, their body doesn't make or use insulin correctly. And that is why it's so important for them to keep tabs on their blood sugar because it could already be outside of that quote-unquote normal range and they need to focus on making sure that it's balanced. So for example, adults with diabetes, their fasted blood sugar could be between 80 and 130 milligrams slash deciliter and after a meal, it could be 180 milligrams slash deciliter, even one to two hours afterwards. So you just want to keep that in mind when we're talking about why it is that people with diabetes are going to be focusing on this and also why it is that normal blood sugar is a little bit of a kind of incorrect or challenging term to really give definition to. Now, I want to quickly explain that there are different types of diabetes. Of course, this episode isn't about diabetes, but we are talking about blood sugar. And the diabetes that we are specifically going to be talking about the most here would be type 2 diabetes, which accounts type 2 diabetes. I feel like I'm really not announcing today, which this accounts for 90 to 95 of all diabetic cases, and this is characterized by insulin resistance and insulin deficiency. There is also secondary diabetes, gestational diabetes, and type 1. 
and those are all different things. So we're mainly talking about type two in this. So you may be wondering, okay, so then what is diabetes, specifically type two diabetes pathophysiology, as in what causes it? This is not a straightforward answer, so just stick with me on this. But the causes of type 2 diabetes are multifactorial and include both genetic and environmental elements that then affect beta cell function in tissue, insulin sensitivity, which can be in the muscle, liver, adipose tissue, and pancreas. And in type 2 diabetes, either the body does not produce enough insulin or the cells ignore the insulin. Now, it usually begins as insulin resistance, which is a disorder in which the cells do not use the insulin properly. And as the result of insulin rising, the pancreas gradually loses its ability to produce it. So, I explained to you guys the system earlier with insulin and how that looks when it's working smoothly, and this is exactly what can cause the problem. So it could look a little bit like this. To start off, a lot of blood sugar enters into the bloodstream, so this could be from consistently eating a lot of food or a lot of food at one time that raises your blood sugar, or this could be due to the other things that we mentioned, like exercise or high stress. But regardless, this is happening. So then what happens is your pancreas pumps out more insulin to get blood sugar into the cells, just like we talked about before. But over time, the cells actually stop responding to all that insulin, and they've become insulin resistant. Now, I want to point out that we don't exactly understand what happens to cause this insulin resistance. We can imagine that it's partially due to these high blood sugar levels, but it could also be due to other things that we don't quite get. And so you may be wondering, okay, well, how did we get from the pancreas pumping out more insulin to the cells not wanting to use it? It can be partially explained by some of the things I've already told to you, but we don't know exactly what it is or what it looks like for everyone, just to clarify that. So then the pancreas keeps making more insulin to try to make the cells respond. It's like, oop, this isn't working, let's keep going. But eventually the pancreas can't keep up and the blood sugar levels just keep rising and rising. So this obviously isn't great in the short term because we don't want to have large amounts of glucose just going around in our blood and not have somewhere where it can be stored and therefore creating this process that I explained. But I want to just mention that just having a blood sugar rise in the short term isn't what's going to cause this whole chain reaction. Now, you can imagine how in the long term, though, this can be very damaging, especially with everything that I explained. And amongst the blood sugar that's floating around, there's also a lot of insulin that's telling your liver and muscles to store the blood sugar because they can store it in your body to be used. But when those are full and when the cells aren't taking it, then the excess can be stored as things in our body that we don't need and it can end up causing that fat storage that may not be beneficial for us if it's consistently being caused by not being able to readily use the glucose in our body. 
So you can see how that then leads to something like type 2 diabetes. Now, going back to what I was saying about insulin resistance, though, they don't really know how this is exactly created within your body. They definitely have seen that a family history, so a genetic element to type 2 diabetes, can be big, but also that could be argued that it could also be environmental reasoning, too. And being overweight, especially around the waist, can influence this. Now, I want to mention that being overweight is a really tough term for me to totally stand behind because I don't stand behind BMI and that's how they would be utilizing this. So I'm not trying to negate the fact that if you are in a body that is over your set point range that doesn't feel good to you where you're holding on to weight that isn't beneficial, that this can occur. But I don't accept the idea that oh, you're overweight, so you're at risk for diabetes because that's using the BMI scale that is not actually a well-proven studied scale and is actually quite false in many ways. Another thing that can cause the risk is just being inactive, so not having any movement in your life, and that doesn't just look like exercise. This looks like movement of any sort. So now that we've covered that, you may be wondering what it is that changes your blood sugar levels, and what the idea of being balanced really means. So to understand that, we need to understand hyperglycemia and hypoglycemia. So hyperglycemia is the technical term for high blood glucose, and it typically happens when the body has too little insulin or when the body can't use insulin properly. So the causes of this would be too much food, like a meal or snack with more carbohydrate than usual, dehydration, not being active, not enough insulin or oral diabetes medication, side effects from other medications such as steroids or antipsychotic medications, illness, stress, menstrual periods, or short-slash-long-term pain, because all of these things release hormones which can raise your blood sugar levels. And when I say all of these things, I meant that in regards to the last illness point that I mentioned. So all of these things can contribute to high blood sugar and or hyperglycemia. Now, hypoglycemia is a term for low blood glucose, And it is when your blood glucose levels have fallen low enough that you need to take action to bring them back to your target range. This can happen from not having enough food, like a meal or snack with fewer carbohydrates than usual or missing meals or snacks, alcohol, especially on an empty stomach, too much insulin or oral diabetes medications, side effects from other medications, and more physical activity or exercise than usual. So all of these things can lower that blood sugar. And I want to point out very strongly here that both of these things are not helpful. I sometimes feel like being online, it can almost seem as if blood sugar in general is a bad thing. And it's just funny to me how that happens because... It's just like when they were saying how fats are a bad thing, and then, of course, now they've come out to change their mind on that. But just a reminder that you need to have glucose in your body in order to live. It is very bad for you to have hypoglycemia 
just like it is to have hyperglycemia, especially consistently and over time. So now you may be wondering, why is it that we're even talking about all of this? You know, what is it that started this craze and obsession with balancing blood sugars? Well, first, it's the importance of it in general. It is important to be able to understand your blood sugar levels, especially because of how they can affect diabetes, which can affect your health. And there are other things that it can affect too. So there is that first part. But we've known forever that blood sugar is important and being mindful of what it is and how it affects your body is important. And yet it hasn't been a craze like it has been recently. So why has it been more recently? To be honest, I put a lot of this blame onto social media and especially the naturopathic or just kind of wellnessy without a lot of information influencers. So Mark Hyman is always someone that comes to mind, especially because he uses a lot of fear-mongering and a lot of really strong claims that are not evidence-backed. And then he also endorses and supports people like the glucose goddess, which is another reason why I really think that this has grown in popularity. Maybe the main reason is this woman, although of course who can really say why it has grown. But the glucose goddess as I mentioned earlier, I was actually going to add her into this podcast. And then as I was getting into it, there was literally just so much that I thought this podcast was going to be like an hour and a half because she has a whole book that has tons of rules about blood sugar. She has many antidotal claims that she makes or loosely connects with research that is mostly done for people in diabetes. Although She acts like every single person needs to utilize her tactics. She discusses so much in terms of basically fear on aging in regards to how your blood sugar raises. She does so much around glucose and she also created this completely insane idea that we have to eat our foods in a certain order. This is not medically or scientifically supported. This was something that she found on her own. And that in itself is one of the reasons why I think that this whole thing has blown up so much. And what they're all trying to get you to do in regards to blood sugar is manage it. So managing blood sugar is keeping your blood sugar in the healthy quote unquote range, not too high, not too low. So you're not going into hyperglycemia and you're not going into hypoglycemia. You're kind of just chilling in the middle. You're going to have a few raises and dips because you're eating, of course, but it's not going through these huge fluctuations. Now, this idea in itself, first of all, was not coined by Mark Hyman or the glucose goddess or by anyone. It's a concept that is scientifically studied. We can observe it. It's something that the body has created naturally. Because as you could imagine, the body isn't wanting extreme fluctuations. That's kind of self-explanatory, right? But I feel like we have to explain it all because (sighs) wellness culture will confuse us with it. So the thing about blood sugar balancing is it's not a bad thing. So managing your blood sugar is actually something that the CDC even suggests more specifically for people with diabetes, but also even in general, this is something that most of us naturally want. And I'll explain to you why. So let's go through the pros. 
Number one is you're going to feel better if you are not having huge blood sugar highs and lows. This is just like when you eat a meal and you wait way too long to eat your next meal and you feel so lethargic. Maybe you feel faint. You just don't feel good. We all want to avoid that, right? We don't want that feeling. And so blood sugar balancing or managing your blood sugar is going to help with that. So it's something that we naturally have built in that we want to gravitate towards, which is a pro overall of the whole idea of doing it. This is also potentially helpful for diabetes prevention, and it is definitely helpful for diabetes management. So why I say potentially helpful for diabetes prevention is because we just don't really know what is helpful, and I don't want to ever be someone that acts like I have all the answers, science doesn't have all the answers, and everyone is different, but overall we can see that at least being mindful of how much you're spiking and dipping can contribute to helping you to not get into a place with your blood sugar that isn't beneficial to you, and also doing it in terms of diabetes is something you have to do. Like, if you're not managing your blood sugar levels within diabetes, it can be incredibly, incredibly dangerous because of how hyperglycemia or extreme hypoglycemia can lead you to a place that is really not healthy. And this is in the short-term effect, and we'll get into some of those effects that can happen a little bit later. The third thing is you can feel so much better when you actually find out what meals lead to you being in a very balanced range just because when we're really eating intuitively and listening to ourselves, we can feel our best and perform our best and that often does coincide with everything that having managed blood sugar would bring. Fourth thing is not everyone is educated on this topic in general, and it doesn't always feel intuitive. So I do think it's good that we're spreading awareness around blood sugar in general and how management can be helpful, the symptoms of it, and also the diseases it can cause or affect. Now, it just depends on the extent of which we're doing this to where it is helpful or not helpful. But let's still go into the last pro. I'm not saying these are the only pros out there, but these are the main ones I wanted to mention, which is this can be done intuitively, and it should be. This doesn't mean that if you have diabetes, you should be doing this intuitively. With diabetes, I really suggest working with a registered dietitian to find those specific steps for you. And even if you don't have diabetes, but you just feel really lost as to what this would look like or how you would go about finding the things that make you feel your best and have you within this type of range, at least loosely, still work with a dietitian. But overall, this shouldn't be complicated. Raising awareness and telling people that this is important shouldn't bring around a list of rules and tips and tons of things that we need to do in order to achieve this. And so if that were all we were going to take away from it was just that added awareness and getting in tune with ourselves, it would be a positive. But of course, we also need to go through the negatives of this or the problems with it. 
So let's start off strong with number one. Even when looking at glucose spikes, we are unable to remove all the variables to know what is actually causing something to spike to the level it is. And this is also going to look different for every single person. This is the problem that I see and talk about every single day with you guys in this podcast and on my Instagram and in general is we are too often giving a blanket solution or advice or tips around wellness stuff. There is no such thing as blanket advice, and it bothers me how often I see these stupid little graphs of like, if you eat this, it will raise your blood sugar to this, or if you eat this but with almonds, it will only raise your blood sugar to this, or whatever it is. Like, we don't know. And also, if you were to even put someone on one of those blood glucose monitors, they've actually come really far and are really cool to see nowadays what they can do, especially for people with diabetes. But let's just say we put someone that doesn't have diabetes on one. I've actually done one of these before. You can't look at their blood sugar and know exactly what caused it to spike or raise or drop to the level of which it did because they could have all of these compounding factors that are contributing, such as stress and other elements. So a lot of the blood sugar stuff gets so fixated on food and all the things that you need to do and the order you need to eat and blah, 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 blah. And yet in actuality, they don't even know what could be causing that spike for that person or what foods could be or whatever it is, right? Number two, the whole idea of normal blood glucose range is not defined, as I said in the beginning. So there are people out there acting like you need to keep your blood glucose in this specific range and that you should only have this certain level of spike or certain amount of spikes in a day or whatever it is, but it's just not this clear cut. We simply cannot say what is right or wrong for different people. And overanalyzing this and obsessing over it could honestly be very unhealthy and harmful. I'm going to give a very, very important example of this. So as you guys know, I work with people that struggle with disordered eating and sometimes people that have eating disorders as well. And I had a client that when she was in the worst phase of her ED and she had to go to inpatient, she had such an obsession with numbers that she wanted every single thing she ate to hit the exact like daily value that you needed or the recommendation. So she did this with sodium and she hit the exact value or at least so she thought, right? She's tracking all of this. And she had to go to the hospital because she had way too much diluted in her body, too low of sodium overall, especially for how much she was drinking of water and just overall how her body was functioning. And so she was technically at the perfect quote-unquote number, and yet she still had that problem. The reason why I explained this story is because the same thing can be true for this. You should never have someone just looking at a blood sugar spike and telling you that's unhealthy. We need to look to long-term markers like A1C, your LDL, your HDL, your cholesterol, all of those things to really tell us about your overall health, but especially A1C, to tell us about your overall blood glucose control, which they use A1C. It's the main thing they use to diagnose diabetes. Now, number three, a lot of these people are referencing glycemic index 
And glycemic index is actually quite outdated. Glycemic load is a lot more beneficial, at least from what we've seen. They haven't like fully said what it is. But either way, glycemic index can vary by 20% or sometimes even 25% per individuals. And when we look at this, it's supposed to tell us and predict, essentially, how different foods are going to affect our blood sugar. And yet we know that it's not only maybe not that accurate, but extremely different for each person. We can go we can go. We can do even more about glycemic load and glycemic index if you're listening or if you're interested. I mean, if I could finish what I'm saying and speak clearly. I bet some people hate when I go into singing. I'm sorry, guys. Okay, back to what we're talking about. Now, the next thing is there are multiple elements that contribute to blood sugar levels. So I already talked about this a little bit earlier. But one of the main things that we see contribute to blood sugar outside of what we're eating is adrenaline release. And adrenaline is typically released in like higher stress situations. So stress, for example, of course, we have that adrenaline release, but it can also happen with those intense workouts. And I feel like in the context of ED recovery or just having an eating disorder, I should say, you need to remember where stress can come up. So something that may be completely easy for someone else, like eating carbs at a meal, can be terrifying for someone with an eating disorder. On this same wavelength, blood sugar being low and or hypoglycemia is also very serious and yet not often talked about enough. So skipping your meals or trying too hard to be in this range when it actually isn't serving your body can lead you to a place where your blood sugar is so low that you have complications just like if your blood sugar is high. So some things of consistently being low that we can see include gastroparesis, endocrine and circulatory system problems, eye disease, heart disease, kidney disease, but especially nerve problems. In severe cases of this, nerve cells can actually die from the lack of glucose supply And if there is a damage to the nerves controlling the internal organs, the body can enter autonomic neuropathy. So it's just important to, again, not be scared of these things, like it's going to happen if you miss a meal, but to recognize that on the flip side of hyperglycemia and the problems it can create, there is also hypoglycemia and the extreme problems that that can create. Now, That situation that I just explained with low blood sugar can especially happen when patients are put on very low-carb, low-calorie, extremely restrictive diets, and they may not even realize that. And this happens way more than you would think because since there is a tie that many scientists believe between your weight and type 2 diabetes... One of the things that doctors will recommend most often is losing weight, which for some patients could be helpful, but for other patients it may not be. And what it's given as this just overarching slap it on, you know, cure, it's not very helpful and there can be so much pressure and so much feeling of failure if they're not able to do it. 
so they can consistently be in this place of low blood sugar and it can be very dangerous in, in causing these things. And not to mention, even outside of the dangers of low blood sugar, this can create such a bad pattern with restriction and then binging. It's so often not taken into account the mental and just emotional challenges of embarking on a type of diet in general, but especially one that is extremely restrictive. And if someone is quote-unquote on their diet being quote-unquote good all week, and then they end up binging because their body really needs food or because it's just too restrictive in general, that can cause damage just the same in terms of how it raises your blood sugar. And so it kind of brings up the what's the point of this if it's not sustainable argument, which we often have on this podcast. And in general, when we're talking about these very broad and very restrictive diet or nutrition suggestions. And so last but not least, as I'm sure you guys thought I was going to say from the very beginning, this whole blood sugar maintenance or management, I should say, system can really cause just another obsessive food rule and create food fears that don't need to be there. This is true of anything in wellness, and this is so much of what I help my clients to work out of. But it's just so common that people that do not need to be focusing on this and honestly need to be focusing a lot less on food in general end up finding a trend like this and thinking, oh my gosh, now I need to focus on my blood sugar and starting to try to pair every meal to be specific and getting stressed about it. And it's just creating so much more of a negative reaction than it is a positive one. So now I want to speak to you guys because as I said a little bit earlier, The hardest part about nutrition and wellness and exercise and all of the things that we discuss in the podcast is that every single one and every single person is different. There are 8 billion people in the world. I don't know if you guys saw that stat the other day. So as you can imagine, it is impossible to generalize when it comes to these things. And I also think that there are different people that not only need to do different things, but need to hear different things. And I know that my audience on this podcast is mostly made up of people that are struggling with their relationship with food. Maybe you have an eating disorder. Maybe you're struggling with disordered eating. Maybe you're just trying to find a way that makes you feel your best outside of dieting in diet culture. Maybe you have diabetes or PCOS or something that is affected by blood sugar levels, but you're also trying to figure out how to not go about solving these things in a way that makes you feel like crap. So I want to speak to you right now. There is 100% a group of people in the world that needs to learn and understand more about blood sugar balancing and managing their blood sugar. Whether that be in general of just learning more about nutrition and how nutrition and stress and exercise and whatever else it is can affect those things, but also especially if they have diabetes. This does not mean that everyone needs to be learning more about this. 
if you generally understood this podcast and the information that I already shared with you, plus get to hear the tips that I use at the end, you know enough. Now, you may need to figure out a little bit more what makes you feel your best and learn the intuitive aspect of it, but you know what you need to know about blood sugar maintenance. Unless, of course, you have diabetes, like I said, and always seek out the support of someone that can specifically help you with this. So when it comes to these people that you see online, or even if it's someone you talk to in person, that give you all of these specific rules and suggestions and things that you need to do or foods you can't eat or can eat or you have to eat everything and every meal in this specific way, run away from them. Do not listen to them. Unfollow them. Because we cannot generalize like that fully. We can give suggestions But anyone that makes you feel bad for not following something is not the person for you. And even if we take these suggestions or these ideas that could be helpful towards blood sugar balancing, we need to also remember to weigh the pros and cons of focusing on something like this. And remember where you're at with this stuff. So here are some examples. If you have an ED, or if you've had an ED, or if you're struggling with disordered eating, or if you're someone that can take things to an extreme, or if you're a perfectionist, ask yourself, is it more likely that I would actually develop diabetes or that I could relapse in my ED? I'm not saying that these things are mutually exclusive or that they can't correlate, But what I'm trying to give you an example of is, do you actually need to focus on every single meal fitting these specific rules that this person that you found online tells you they need to hit? And is that truly more beneficial to not developing diabetes or complications from high blood sugar than it is to actually recognize that these things could cause you to relapse or develop disordered eating and create heightened stress and a toll on your mental health? Like, which one is actually more likely and more important to keep in mind? Another example is, does this incredibly strict low-carb diet actually help you? For example, does it actually help your diabetes? Does it actually help your PCOS? Or should you truly be seeking out a practitioner that has more knowledge on how to do whatever you need to do in a balanced way? That can help you to learn how to eat intuitively, that can listen to yourself. Because so many times doctors just give this blanket recommendation of, oh, just do this low-carb diet. Or even especially with PCOS, I've seen so many times that they give these crazy food rules and yet it doesn't help at all in terms of how they feel with the PCOS, then it also creates another problem, like an eating disorder or gut health problems or whatever it is, and they're just all getting piled on. Number three, if you're actually a pre-diabetic, could you instead focus on rules that actually make sense instead of the extreme and unnecessary ones that are not proved by science? And this is true of everyone, but especially for those of you that may be listening to this, like, you know what? I actually do really need to keep this in mind. I know that this could be a problem for me. 
then do we actually need to focus on eating our different parts of our plate in a specific order, despite the fact that that is not at all proved by science and is pretty much anecdotal to this specific person? Or should we focus on generally the things that science sees and understands to be true that are going to make a bigger impact? Especially the things that are less stressful for you to implement. I just want to say right now, as the last thing, if you have an eating disorder, if you are in recovery, if you're struggling with disordered eating, if you are trying to break away from dieting, blood sugar balancing is not for you. You are hurting your health more worrying about these things than you are not worrying about them. I promise you. And especially if you are in active recovery, this is the last thing you should be thinking about. You want to be taking away food rules, not adding them in. And this is another food rule. I promise you, it's just not that important, guys. It's just not. They're always going to try to convince you that it is, but it's just not that important for the normal person in the day-to-day that's not struggling with pre-diabetic blood sugar levels, that's not struggling with some specific type of disease state, you don't need to be obsessively regulating your blood sugar levels and thinking about it every single meal and snack. I promise you. Here are some examples of how focusing on this can be not helpful and even contradictory. Scenario number one, you're stressing about every single element of your meal and the order of which you eat it in, but this causes you stress in general, which then releases adrenaline and spikes your blood sugar the same amount as if you were to have just had a meal that you didn't eat in that specific order or maybe didn't have an element that you thought it needed for blood sugar balancing. Scenario number two, you're having a breakfast with protein because you think that you should to balance your blood sugar, but it doesn't make you feel good every single time you have it and you don't feel energized. Instead, you could have had just a meal with a carbohydrate and every time you have that meal, it makes you feel good. But because you don't think it's blood sugar balancing, you avoid it. So you compromise how you feel for the name of a rule. An extreme example is type 1 diabetics that over-administer their insulin or under-eat due to such a strong fear of weight gain. So they would rather have all of the negative effects of hypoglycemia, which is very serious for a type 1 diabetic, than they would have weight gain. I know that's a little bit different, but I still think it's an important scenario. Another scenario is People in blue zones and in Europe that are considered some of the healthiest people in the world or that have lived the longest, and many of them are eating carbs. They're not obsessing, well, all of them are eating carbs, really. None of them are obsessing about their blood sugar and the specific range that it's landing in, and yet they're some of the healthiest, healthiest people in the world. So all of those scenarios can hopefully show you how there are some holes to this logic, especially depending on where you are personally at with all of these things. So before I go into tips, I just want to read a few of the thoughts that you guys had on this. So 
Allison says, it gives me anxiety. I don't track it, but I feel like it's getting a lot of attention lately. Thea says, should we really eat a protein-rich breakfast instead of carbs? Donetta says, fell deep into this hole when trying to fix my PCOS. It just gave me an ED. Caitlin says, immediately no. Unless you have a medical diagnosis, you do not need to worry about blood glucose. Shayla says, not sure what glucose goddess is, but interested in learning more about blood sugar balancing. And Haley says, my blood sugar was so low and I had no symptoms. So those are just a few perspectives that I wanted to share with you guys, but I know that things that weren't in that question box that I've seen show much more extreme situations along with the very stringent rules around blood sugar balancing and management in relationship to diabetes or just in terms of food rules or so many other things. So these can be very serious when taken to too much of an extreme or when implemented in a very restrictive way. So with that being said, let me give you the tips that I would suggest if you feel like, you know what, I want to feel my best. I understand that right now, maybe I'm having a lot of fluctuations where I'm going too low. Maybe then I'm going too high and I'm just not in a good cycle and I want to feel my best. This is what I would say. So the number one thing that you're going to see most of the time is pairing multiple elements together. But I want to explain what that looks like in my opinion. So pairing multiple elements, I think is actually pretty natural for a lot of us. It's putting the fat, carb, protein together. So maybe realistically, this looks like having rice, salmon, um, avocado, and fiber, right? So like a veggie on your plate and then adding some yummy stuff to it. That's a very, like, just normal example that you could imagine. But this could also be that you have pasta. And with that pasta, you have a yummy sauce that you're trying. And you sprinkle in some ground beef, right? Like, it can be something like that that you're also doing to have this be more balanced. It doesn't need to look like the traditional type of meal that we always think about that I named first. And this is something that can lead to less of a blood sugar spike because when you pair carbs, especially with a fat or a protein, it changes the way that it is digested and absorbed. It goes a little bit more slowly and that in turn can lead to less of a spike. Now that does not in any way mean that you need to be afraid of having something that is just a carb snack by itself or that you need to be afraid of not having a meal that's balanced or that you have to have protein and fat at every single meal, okay? This is just something that can be helpful. It's something that you can experiment with, but also don't think too much into it. I'm one of those people that really likes just a breakfast that's simple a lot of the time. That's Maybe it's just a waffle or something or a bowl of cereal. It doesn't always have all those elements, and those things can still make me feel really good. There are other days where I may find myself having a avocado toast with an egg, and it fits this. There is no specific science. It just has to do with really listening to what works for you. But that is an easy way to actually implement management of blood sugar 
and overall feeling of fullness and all of that good stuff. Again, if you are in ED recovery, you should not be focusing on this. I'm not saying that you can't have quote-unquote balanced meals where there's multiple elements, but this is, again, potentially adding another food rule and is not beneficial to you right now. Another thing that is beneficial to everyone is making sure you're eating consistently. Such an underrated piece of the puzzle. It's hilarious how many of these same people that say you need to manage your blood sugar, like Mark Hyman, also endorse things like intermittent fasting, which completely goes against the whole idea. So it just shows them yet again contradicting themselves, which is so funny. So making sure you're eating consistently every three to four hours often works for people is going to help to make sure that your blood sugar isn't dipping too low or going too high when you have your food. Number three, I keep saying numbers in this. I'm sorry. I feel like I've always number or example or scenario just trying to get all the information in there, but here we go. Stop listening to the non-evidence-based advice. The quackadoodle people online are seriously not helpful. You do not need to be obsessing so much about health like this. Of course, our health is important, but the best way to tap into what makes you feel your best and what makes you your healthiest is by being intuitive with yourself, trusting your cues, finding out what makes you feel good. No one else can tell you what that is. You can just take general information and then experiment with it to see what it really is for you that works the absolute best. I know that this was a very, very information-dense podcast, and honestly, these topics are always so hard because there's so much we could say. There's so much nuance to these scenarios, and every single person is so different, The bottom line I would say is that blood sugar balancing and monitoring can be really important for people with diabetes and it is something that other people out there, just the general public, can focus on that sometimes will lead to them feeling their best but I would not say that anyone needs to fixate or put in place specific rules or methodologies to purposely try to balance and manage their, I feel like I said balance, balance and manage their blood sugar in the day-to-day, especially because for most people, I believe it causes more stress, more harm than it does good, especially once you get past that just like initial piece of adding something like this in. Woo! That was a lot. Hopefully you guys weren't feeling bored. I'd love to hear from you actually on Instagram. If you like these longer, more in-depth podcast episodes like this, sometimes it's hard for me with topics that are so big like blood sugar management, sugar addiction, food addiction, whatever it is to condense the materials. That's definitely partially related to the fact that I speak for way too long and am an over explainer. But also I want to make sure that the podcast episode or the topic is, it has, it's done justice. Is that a word? I was thinking done justice. Justice is given whatever. I, you know what I'm saying. 
So if you have input on that, please let me know. Thank you again so much for joining me and for the love on the last episode too. It's made me so happy and I will see you guys back here next week.